Welcome everybody to Future of Beauty Unfiltered, episode 17. I cannot believe we are here. I am your host, Hannah Cook, Head of Growth and Innovation. And today we have a little bit of a different episode going on. As you guys know, the Pull Agency love all things health and beauty in the category. However, we are so committed to the category that not only are we British beauty patrons, but I am actually part of the British Beauty Council when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusivity. Because of that, we have some amazing guests with us today, and I'm going to introduce them one at a time because these women are powerhouses when it comes to all things inclusive. So... First things first. Hi, Trish. Hi. I've had Trish has been on our podcast before. Trish Diswani is the founder of Cole Creatives, a British startup company which set out to shake up the beauty world. Company launched in 2017 mm -hmm. with a flex collection of five bendy, easy to grip makeup brushes for customers affected by motor function issues. Now, Trish's mission is to create products for people with disabilities and extend to anyone for whom makeup is a self-esteem boost. Trish is deeply committed to drive inclusivity within the beauty world. The company's charity, Cold Cares, provides free cosmetic technique workshops to people undergoing gender transitions and receiving chemotherapy, as well as with trichome. I can never say this word. Trichotillomania. Thank you. <laughs> there we go. Um, <laughs> alopecia. Oh my, why are the long words? I have only had one coffee today. Um, is it vitiligo? Yeah. Thank you. And uh, port wine birthmarks, mm -hmm. which actually are, uh, I really think so. Thank you so much for joining us today on this discussion. I'm excited. Secondly, we have Felicity Jones. Hi, welcome. Hello. Hello. Um, so Felicity is the head of sales at Pelham Laboratories, a UK contract manufacturer who specialise in speed to market, low volume and innovation. The aim to disrupt the beauty industry. We're going to be touching on that later today. I'm wanting to hear all about the disruption side from you. Um, with a career uh, that you have had across multiple roles in the beauty and fashion industry, including various contract manufacturers and retailers, got an extensive understanding of the market. Um, and actually, you've had the opportunity to work on Superdrug's private label, Boots Global Brands, um, of uh, like things like uh, Number 7, S&G. So absolutely amazing when it comes to working from a global brand point of view. Uh, and obviously you're launching the uh, Andrew Fitzsimmons, the Kardashians hairstylist in the UK as well. Yeah, that was um, a couple of years ago now. But yeah, that ah. was, uh, yeah. Lots going on. Um, and last but not least, we have Claire Green, a, a fellow DEI committee member. Uh, so Claire is the brand director at KMI Brands, a recently certified B Corp. Congratulations Thank again. You. Um, who creates, market and distribute beauty and well-being brands. Claire's 15 years experience in beauty incorporates product, communications and brand. And Claire is responsible for developing multiple categories under license, including Ted Baker, as well as multi-award winning Naughty and newly launched Plantopia. Um, as I mentioned, Claire recently joined the British Beauty Council DEI committee, inspired by the impact and reach beauty and wellness can have on all communities. And that inspiration to join the Inclusive Services and Product Aligned Task Force was actually due to your mum. Was. Yes, I can't wait to hear more about that. Uh, who experienced challenges in everyday tasks from her arthritis. And it's really helped to highlight the pain points, um, actually through improved universal design principles can benefit many. 
Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for joining us today. As we kind of said, today is a little bit of a different episode in the sense that we're going to be talking all about inclusive and accessible packaging. Um, this is a dialogue that I think has been long overdue. And uh, like we were talking about, to be fair, before we started recording, it's definitely building, isn't it, over time? So I'm going to throw a question out here and I'm going to start with uh, Felicity and Trish. Um, how do you define accessible, inclusive packaging? You know, what features are most important and why? Trish? <laughs> well, I think this is a firstly a very loaded question because <laughs> um, in general, when I look at inclusive and accessible packaging, there is no one size fits all. And I think that's something that's really important for me personally, because we will, well, as a brand, we evolve what we create and include more people as we are more aware of differences and based on pure feedback, to be honest. So a really, really good example is just even based on our product design, we have different styles of tools because people have different styles of ability and grips and visual impairments, etc. So for me, there is no one size fits all. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really important. So inclusive and accessible packaging can be anything. But I think for me, versatility and being able to adapt it is more important. Interesting. Felicity? So I would totally agree with that, but I would also say it like I guess it's just for varying sensory and physical capabilities. So right. it's you know it's it's very hard to yeah like capture everything in one. But I think as long as it's, you know it's, it's considered, that's the most important thing. Claire, I mean obviously you've got personal experiences mm -hmm. in this area as well. Yeah, I think everything um, that's been said is is absolutely spot on, and I think the key thing, Trish, that you said is to continue to evolve it mm. because there isn't a solution for everyone. And I think the difference between maybe even calling it universal design versus inclusive, actually universal design to me means that it actually benefits as many people as possible for anyone with all abilities or that you don't identify as, as, ha as having a disability of, of any description. And that is going to be an evolution. That's going to be a process to continue challenging yourselves on, on how you can mm. make those improvements. Well, it's like with your stickies, isn't it? You know, this was we've had this conversation before, but I genuinely love the fact that you started off working in one area, you have Braille, you have QR codes mm. for people that obviously need help from an audio point of view. But it's also something that people anyone can really use you know with these stickies and templates you know when we, we spoke about them earlier Felicity you know so it's, it's really that for me is where leading the way of being as accessible as possible mm -hmm. to as many people as possible that's a great example of that I think also I mean speaking of the stickies like it comes with a challenge as well doesn't it because again as much as I would love to say everyone can use them um and they can but there will obviously be some limitations for some individuals and then there's tools to help support that journey. So easy grip tweezers or, you know, something that would be able to make it a little bit more that one step further accessible because I can't say that, you know, just having one product on its own is perfect. Mm. Um, but in addition to that, I think we, what one thing that I noticed was anything that was typically being catered to the disability market was very hospitally and kind of ugly. And um, as you know, I lecture and I asked my students, I said, you know, would any of you buy a product that was designed for people with disabilities? And they all said no. Mm. And I was like, okay, 
clearly there is some kind of communication which makes you know the fact that something is catering to disabled people not sexy for the everyday consumer and for us it's about how can I change that you know how can I make everybody feel happy and proud and excited to use the same product um so that is just kind of a a challenge in itself and I feel like with the stickies it does work it Mm. does happen so um, it's interesting, but that was a very interesting conversation to have. Well, it's like what we were talking about before, actually, we started recording around it is virtually impossible to change consumers' mm. learned habits when mm. it comes to purchasing a product. And we were talking about Ole did this years ago where they created a winged lid designed to support people with, you know, mobility issues when it comes to gripping and things like that. And, um, it's not patented. It's there available for everybody to use. And yet we aren't seeing more of these winglets appearing. Why is that? You know, we speak about different tanning products and going against the grain. I think there is still that challenge there from a consumer point of view as well. But I think there's obviously lots of other ways in which maybe brands and manufacturers can collaborate better to find those solutions to start changing that narrative and changing those behaviours that we've all learned, which Oh, go on. I was going to say, interesting you said about the class and, you know, people saying that they wouldn't want to use products that are targeted with someone with a disability, because I think if it's worded as ease of use, like we've all been there with a moisturiser with a shive that will just not come out oh, of the jar. Yeah. Like it, I've actually written on my notes that the shives are the enemy because they want me <laughs> up on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, that's, you know, that's from me. And, you know, if someone that has, you know, is struggling, like it's, it's, it's a different story. So it's all about, I think it's about ease of use, but also... Mm. Um, it's yeah how brands are speaking to their consumers and how they think about like wording it in that way yeah no totally well it, that perfectly brings me on oh, to okay. the next question <laughs> thank you so much um does accessible packaging have to cater to all groups so obviously disability isn't universal um we know this um you know even two different people with dexterity impairments actually might require, as you said, a different design. So how do you cater for that when there's such complexity and actually personalization required? I'm gonna start, I'm gonna open it up to all of you actually. In, in my mind, how we cater is it's, I think it's brand dependent, product dependent. And I think, you know, when brands build their portfolios and their target consumer and who they're going after and who is that ideal consumer you know I think that it needs to be an awareness around you know that consumer group are they more likely to you know is there you know looking at data and stats and understanding are you know are there more people in that group that are suffering from a certain disability or a struggle or um and you know really catering around that rather than trying to be accessible to all because I think we all just know that that's not possible mm-hmm. um that would be my first thoughts I mean, I'm just not afraid to change things. If it if it doesn't work for somebody and they tell me like, hey, I need something that's slightly different, I'll go back to the drawing board and we'll create it. But it's just something that I'm so focused on and so determined to do that I will, you know, try and test and launch new different things frequently um, to give everybody a chance. Because for me, beauty is so personal. Like, for me, it's about that journey of getting up and getting ready and looking your best and... I really feel like everybody deserves that. So I, if I hear that, you know, something is a challenge for somebody, a really good example is actually arthritis because mm. our flex collection is not suitable for people with arthritis or all people with arthritis. And I got that feedback from a group that was a charity organization that we gifted um, that had arthritis. And then we changed it and we created 
um, a different grip to the brushes and feast your eyes is completely different. So, um, yeah, I think, I think adapting is a really key thing. Mm. What about you, Claire? Because obviously you, you innovate a lot in this area and are always going back to the drawing board, even at formulation level. How do you guys do it as a bigger brand? Yeah, I think the big learning, and, and as um, Hannah said, my mum was the starting point for this. And I think we were guilty, to be honest, of not understanding our customer usage properly. It, it kind of stopped. If we put the product on the shelf, we get a great product review. But actually, do we understand how they interact with the product at home. So I think a bigger shift for us has been to understand that far better. And as I say, I do use my mum as, as an example, but there are many other people now and we've had fantastic feedback from our, our naughty nation, as we call them, um, our customers who are sharing more and more with us now about the difficulties and the challenges they're facing with our products so that that goes back into our pipeline now to make some positive changes. Um, because otherwise we'll just continue. And, and I think it's it's a massive learning of getting close, really close to your customer and their lifestyle um, to make those changes for sure. I think texture and formulation, that's been another consideration um, of even making sure that the, the difference in viscosity of formulations, which actually helps someone who might be visually impaired. So we might have addressed the packaging needs, but actually then when they're using different formulations, how do we change that to help them in that kind of step of usage so are they distinctly different enough so that that helps in in that regime building as well so i have to say and repeat again it is a continuous journey i don't think and that's why i love the principle more of universal design it will continue to evolve mm. we will never do this perfectly for everyone we have to keep learning and, and changing are you um seeing any key themes emerging in that feedback the most um, referenced, actually, is the challenge of ease of use of, of tubes, funnily enough, very specifically. You know, a lot of naughty is it, it does come in a tube. Um, but the, the down even to the um, how rigid the body of the tube is, you know, for some people with grip issues, and they use the word grip um, a lot, is, is how easy is it for people to get product out, out. of the tube? And I think... For Naughty, our customer loves value. They love our product, but they want to get every last drop out of it, which I don't blame them because like I do everyone too. Does, exactly. Yeah, value for money, very important. Um, but actually, if we can't let them do that with the packaging that we've put together, we need to change it. How do we make sure that they can get the full evacuation of that formulation so that they're having the best experience? Um, so that's probably a really key thing. We, we've also had some feedback around uh, navigation of uh, product formats so where you've got packaging that actually looks quite similar so that might be someone for visually impaired if, if we our design is very close between a shampoo and a conditioner for example mm. how do they when they're shopping in a store see that more easily and then actually and this has been the most popular feedback that we've had from our naughty nation and actually from anyone i've asked and various different um, companies is in the shower when you're in a rush and you accidentally pick up the conditioner. Oh, I do it all the time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, I'm not visually impaired. <laughs> it drives me nuts. I've never squinted so much. Yeah. Suds in eyes. Like, which one Isn't am I picking up today? Bedhead in particular. I love their brand, but the packaging drives me insane. Well, and to be honest, and I'm being open, you know, for Naughty, we have not made it as easy for our customer mm. because actually our packaging is very similar. Yes, it so is. So that is 
in the midst of changing because it either if it's texture of the tube so that if you've got your suds in your eyes and you're having to kind of feel for the shelf or the shampoo and conditioner um that might help so you've got a texture and sensor as you, you were mentioning um but also down then to, to the size of the wording and, mm. and the design and being distinctly different so that, again, through their stage of experience with the brand from purchase through to actually at home and use, mm. we're thinking about every step. So Even like embossing on packaging could actually be a big yeah. differentiator. And of, I'd love mm. to add that because I think Herbal Essences did a great job of, of starting to add that onto their shampoo and conditioner, yeah. but uh, there's an influencer who Allure did um, an amazing article about actually molly burke mm. um who is is blind mm-hmm. and she did some fantastic reviews of different cosmetic products but even down to where that that embossing that braille is positioned is not in her world the easiest place to actually find it, it's very low down on the bottle it's not near the shoulder um to, to be able to find easily mm. so it's even that detail that if, if you're not experiencing that and living that you have to ask and listen, people that are. I mean, Braille for me is a really big talking point because the amount of people that actually can read, I think you told me this stat, 10% of people that are blind can Mm. read Braille. So there's this perception Mm. that you are visually impaired and therefore you learn to read Braille. That's just not the case. And so actually I think looking at textures of bottles mm. where there's other ways i mean felicity from your point of view you must see lots of themes emerging as well so when yeah when i was looking, thinking about it on the train this morning as as brands you, you will know that you can trial and test everything you test your formulations to check that people like it you can test that you can be really, really specific on what skin types you test it on um and you know the type of claims that you want to get but actually in terms of user trials on packaging mm. there's very limited options especially when it comes to accessible packaging and for you both you probably have this is that you you have no idea about mm. your naughty tubes until you've launched them and people point it out or you know you've had no idea that someone has had had a struggle with using one of your brushes until it's launched and it must be frustrating as brands because you can't trial and test it before you launch it and from a brand perspective it's very expensive to develop those things to then get it to to get it to market to then be told that you actually it's not quite right and it needs to be tweaked and tried and tested again but if there was that availability of testing business idea for anyone out there listening it could be you could make some millions um i'll charge commission um but yeah it, you know it's a no-brainer if you can you know if you could be that specific when it comes to formulation why not the same with packaging um and that was something that i like i had never really considered or thought about until really like deep diving into the back of my the depths of my brain yeah Wow. I mean, do you know, it's funny. There are companies that have emerged. So Beauty Buddy, we did a podcast with them and and they have over 100,000 users and they actually do a lot of um, product feedback on testing. And I would put money on the packaging comes up, but it's probably not at the forefront of the end user's mind unless they are visually impaired, have some form of dexterity challenge or, or whatever it may be. So actually that responsibility potentially falls to brands to be thinking about that mm-hmm. a little bit when they're thinking, I'm going to be taking this product to market, I'm going to testing, but actually I want to make sure not only is it NatRep, but actually we're as inclusive as possible in that dialogue so that everybody has an opportunity to have a say mm-hmm. in I how actually, that works. Sorry, Hannah. I just I actually think that people don't do it as much because it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Like packaging is such an expensive component um and i feel like 
inclusive packaging is super important to some businesses, but sales are more important to other businesses. And I think that's something that we also just have to generally consider um, because it is it is an investment. Honestly, you guys link me up to my next question <laughs> so well. It's like you can see my notes. Why is there not more accessible packaging available in the industry today? Why is it this is only happening to a limited degree? What What is it? What's the reason? So we've got manufacturers here and we've got brands here. What are the limitations? Why are we not doing more? I don't think we're talking about it enough. Truthfully, I don't think it's as considered as it should be. I think we have, speaking from a brand perspective, we're really clear on our brand DNA, our personality, our values, but actually, are we really pushing this conversation, which is why I was so excited and, and passionate for, for joining the committee as well. I think it's, um, I, I did have a, a conversation with a couple of our suppliers and one of our amazing suppliers who we've worked with for many years, even he admitted like no client comes with this as part of their brief. And it actually was a bit of a light bulb moment for him. And we can take more of a proactive approach as an industry, I would say. It, it should be brand. I do think brands have to think about it. It has to be baked into our DNA as natural as, as anything else that we do to connect with our customers to develop product for them. But I do think it needs to be more holistic um, and considered across with suppliers. And, and this particular supplier now is brilliantly engaged and, and energised by this and, and kind of furthering that conversation and thinking this should actually be a standard on any brief that goes to a manufacturer or a packaging supplier yeah, a hygiene factor yeah, absolutely so i totally agree that it is the awareness point of view and it's the classic economics of supply and demand um in that you know we as a manufacturer when we receive briefs packaging you know we source a huge amount of packaging from all over the world always you know the thought of the environment never the thought of you know be accessible for the accessibility um and that's down to you know the awareness of you know new brands we work with a lot of startup brands not necessarily being aware of it they're very like focused on the formulation and stuff and packaging comes second almost um and you know it's also you know as a manufacturer when we source packaging you know we very much suggest to go down the environmental route but actually in terms of having inclusive packaging we also we, we don't suggest it because there's not it's not out there um, and to, to do it, you have to be innovative, you have to invest. And, you know, there's huge tooling costs that come from packaging suppliers in order to do something different. Um, so for the startup brands that are trying to, you know, make waves in the beauty industry, it makes it really difficult for them to offer that inclusivity for like, you'll probably, you know. Um, Trish is nodding yeah. a lot over here, like, <laughs> yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah, I hear you. Um, but yeah, and I think, you know, that's not going to come with that demand will come with, as the awareness builds. Um, and you know, right now it's not there, but, you know, we're learning more and more every day. And it's like the same with, you know, the environment and the, you know, the build on packaging um, and how, you know, that's been driven by retailers. I think that's massive. Retailers will all have their own briefs, you know, on what they will, you know, request. Boots, for example, I think it's minimum 30% PCR that they now ask from an environmental standpoint. But if they have a minimum requirements on um, accessibility on packaging or limitations, that will lead the way because brands that are launching will need to consider it more. And that's kind of what's happened. And then obviously with the government, the plastic tax, that's happened. I think that needs to lead the way too. Mm. So I think there's lots of things that need to be built. It's really interesting you've brought up retailers because 
they get away with a lot <laughs> they do and uh, for me you know the, the UK market in comparison to the US market it's actually much easier for a brand to start working with retailers in the US because there's more right so the entry costs it, it's much easier to get in and speak with a smaller audience but you're there and half the time having the retail presence is the biggest challenge whereas in the UK I mean Boots owns 40% of the market share so already there are limitations there's um, challenges when it comes to um, points of price points entry wise and actually maybe if retailers were getting involved in that dialogue that would be a really good starting point because it's going to force brands hands a little bit as much as I hate to say it to mm -hmm. go actually that is something we need to think about these are the I'm going to averted air commas no one can see it on a podcast but I'm doing <laughs> speech marks uh, hoops to jump through if you want to be you know available in boots you have to be accessible you have to be sustainable you have to be inclusive you have to be as to the best of your ability and obviously that's going to put more pressure on the manufacturers as well to find innovative ways to do so right yeah exactly and that and you know then they'll know that if they invest in tooling that they're going to make the money back because you know at the end of the day it's business for everyone so retailers think, listen up <laughs> retailers we're talking to do you as you're told we're talking to you <laughs> but um, then i guess my, for them how do they set those guidelines because yeah. how do you set guidelines for being accessible to everyone it makes it so difficult i mean trish i mean it just all boils down to cost because you talk about boots right? But Boots takes a massive margin. Yeah. And in order to make sure that you create a return on investment that's even minimal, mm. you need to have skyrocketing costs, which then makes your product inaccessible for an accessible price point. So then you can't be in Boots because you're too expensive for Boots. So it's a little bit of a rock and a hard place. The only alternative is massive economies of scale. So massive production, but then if you're doing that, then there is a real big pressure to sell through. And it's it's the sustainable angle. So for example, I rely on other brands mass producing stuff. They ship out X amount of quantity. They leave behind to throw X amount of quantity. And I use that and upcycle it. So we also, with the increase in volume, have a bigger sustainable challenge um, because that's the part that nobody talks about. Like I've seen factories where literally brands abandon mass volume of their stock because of the pressure to get the price down. Um, and then they just bin it. And mm. it's in every manufacturing industry, lifestyle, beauty, home, fashion. Um, and they're all responsible. Mm. So yes, awareness is such a big thing and I totally agree with everything that you guys have said but cost is a really big thing and the expense on the environment as a result so on that basis is there anything else you haven't mentioned that you think is holding us back the consumer as well I think I'd also say there's a lot of thinking going yeah. on. I love silence on a podcast, and we can totally it's not cut helpful, that out. Is it? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of also is is there nervousness from brands and maybe this is for, on like council culture in doing something wrong, trying to be inclusive and getting it wrong. I don't know if that is a limitation or something that would hold people back. But council culture, yeah. Um, I would say so. I think there's absolutely from conversations I have had, and I won't mention the brands, but as of late, 
I've actually had some conversations with some major, major, major beauty brands that have done the right thing, listened to their customers, developed a product for one thing, realized it's actually being used for another. And so they're leaning in and going, how can we use the formulation to lean into this category and do other things in this area? And then shade gets brought into Mm -hmm. account and actually the levels of shade that they're able to produce with the types of ingredients is limited. So you instantly have a situation where you've got the people that are doing the formulation saying, well, actually there are limitations to what this allows. And then you've got the team going, no, you can't, you can't do this. This is not going to be received well. Um, And there is this element of fear of getting it wrong. Um, Which is a massive shame because actually in the research that we've done, one of the biggest things that consumers are looking for is brands to try. That's, you know, if you look at the things, consumers feel, we did a piece of research last year. If you haven't read it, guys, is your brand too woke? Balance between, you know, brand versus social purpose. And we asked these questions and we've done it on sustainability. Consumers feel responsible, but they also think brands are the ones that can make the difference. I mean, the reality is, yes, the top Fortune 500 can, but it's governments as well. There's lots of ways, you know, brands can only do so much, but it's wanting them to try in the first place that I think they're screaming out for. I think having trust as well, I think that's the other thing of of, if a brand is speaking up about this, for a consumer to have the trust in that brand the authenticity and of exactly it. and to to say actually and it, de- it depends on your audience and and how maybe loyal the, the the customer base is potentially but at least i think what we're finding is at least if we start to have this conversation we're not going to get it right all the time and i think knowing that and acknowledging that because nobody is perfect in this mm. I, I just think we, as as we said right at the start, we're we're all learning. We're mm. constantly learning, but I do feel there is this aspect of trust, and I see that in a lot of trends that continue to come up within this industry. Trust is a massive factor for mm. consumers, um, and how we get to that point and, and give them that belief that we're doing it for the right reason and not to check a marketing box of oh we are inclusive. Mm. I don't think you need to say that if you really believe it and you're living in breathing it it should come through everything that you do Mm. and that's where you get that authenticity rather than checking a box i think authenticity is so key and actually from our own research and findings the thing that we walked away with is have that social purpose have that purpose really live and breathe it but don't always make it part of your communication it's just who you Mm. are i mean Mm -hmm. it's a big part with you trish Mm -hmm. it's who you are you don't talk about it. No. It's a feature. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, like, when there is a press piece, they're going to ask about it. Mm. But on social, I don't ham on about it all the time. It is it is what it is. It's embedded in the DNA. Um, but I don't think that should stop people from trying. I think that's mm. a really, really key thing. I think, you know, uh, we all agree. We all want to see more of it. We all want to see people try. We love the idea of innovation. Um, and I think... The, the barrier, what I was just about to say, was the barrier to some of this sometimes is genuinely the consumer. People don't like change. And I think that's a really, really mm. big thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't like change. I complain about everything that changes slightly. <laughs> the weather. The weather. Yeah, the weather. <laughs> it's yeah. changed. I'm not happy. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I am really static when it comes to my behaviors and loyalties and habits and the more choice sometimes we have, the more complicated it makes things. And, you know, sometimes you just want things to remain the same. So 
that's another factor, you know, people, mm-hmm. people and your consumer play a big role in this too. I, I actually uh, was listening to a different podcast um, and uh, there was a doctor on it who actually said, how can we be happier? And one of the things was they said choice is having an impact on our happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that don't have options typically are happier. And in this industry, particularly in this category, even like skincare alone, let's just talk about skincare, mm-hmm. the amount of choice and options is overwhelming and so people a lot of the time aren't necessarily happy because they're always thinking about did I make the right choice Mm. and thinking there's something better out there and actually sometimes that variety makes it a lot harder to navigate as a consumer and brands need to remember that and just stick to to what is their truth. I totally agree with that and I think Mm -hmm. it is just again coming back to universal design Mm. the point of that is to benefit as many people as possible and I come back to this kind of shampoo conditioner Mm. scenario that would benefit everyone in that it's it's one small example (laughs) but it actually will benefit everyone and that's what helps people you don't don't, I'm not going to give them a choice of this is marketed as accessible I'm doing the air quotes now accessible packaging that's not the point it actually we've listened we've understood and we've taken an action to address that for everyone because I think you're then almost excluding people as well. And that's why I love your that's stickies. Not inclusive. Oh, thank you. And I think this, again, is, is it's that principle. It shouldn't be other. I'm identifying as other because I've got to have something different and special. There might be instances of that, of course. But I think if we can get to a better place where it's universal design, it's considered at the design stage, because I think that's the other aspect we haven't necessarily touched on, before we even come to the manufacturers is are we thinking about it right at the front in how we design our products and our packaging and our, our brands? And for me, it is, you know, universal design can include how we are representing ourselves on a website as well. You know, that that's all part of this, how our branding is 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 um, articulated, the, the colours that we use, all of the rest of that. But it is, it's definitely, it is just a, a, a process and it is an end-to-end process for sure. Well, that perfectly wraps up the first half of this podcast and I couldn't end it on a better note. So we're going to have a quick break and we're actually going to tap out and tap in a new member joining us today. So we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to part two. Very rare we have a two-parter, but like I said, this is a special episode today. And uh, we had the amazing Sophie Lowe, who's been sat watching the entire time going, tap me in, coach. I want to talk about all things inclusion. Um, Sophie, welcome. Thank you. So Sophie is uh, the brand development manager at Pelham and has over 11 years experience in the health and beauty industry with a deep understanding of packaging NPD. Sophie's expertise ranges from developing various types of beauty products, including colour cosmetics, fragrance and skincare for retailers such as Primark, Monsoon and Superdrug, as as well as celebrity-owned brands such as Molly May, which uh, when we were going through this offline, uh, Catherine, our head of brand son, just gave us a thumbs up. So that's gone down very well, very well received. Uh, Throughout her career, she has worked with packaging suppliers from all over the world, working on a wide range of materials and finishes, and Sophie looks after Pelham's own brands, 
you concentrate on, is it We Are Concentrate, a sustainable, no added water hair care range. Um, And a perimenopause and menopause brand as well. Yep, called Aostra. Goddess of Change. Goddess (laughs) of Change. Amazing. So welcome. Thank you very much. So before we jump into the next round of questions, you obviously were uh, listening to the first section. Anything you want to comment on that we discussed? Uh, we, you spoke about some amazing things. There was a couple of things that I wanted to add um, when you were talking about the way that brands market it. I find it really interesting um, that I see a lot of brands being very inclusive in their marketing. So I, the thing that came to thought uh, to my thoughts was there is a hair care brand at the moment and they have someone that's visually impaired um, talking about how fabulous their hair looks and everything. But I thought, I bet that hair care brand doesn't actually have products to help them. So I think I'd love to see brands really taking it through from the marketing and really living it. Um, Like Trisha was saying, you don't necessarily market it. Um, But if you are going to, then I think that it actually does need to be inclusive, not just look like it and make it look like you're inclusive. Absolutely. Anything else? Um, I also thought um, things like in-store fees online. So it might be tricky for brands because a lot of brands have trouble with people opening products in store. So Mm. they put things like tamper seals on them. Um, because they have a lot of returns but then that's really excluding people that are going to really struggle to open things Mm. for example if they have arthritis it's really hard to open it I know my mum also has arthritis and she struggles just to open paracetamol so how can you make it accessible for people but also like retailers will accept it because so many brands have to be so careful in sending out their stuff Mm. um and a thought that I had about packaging I thought why don't there's so many different types of packaging that are off the shelf so you'll see many brands um, with for example your standard pump and why can't we create products that are tools that are add-ons and um, so they're universal and it might be like the winged lid but actually you put it over a lid and then someone can use it so they know that they can buy the sexy packaging we were talking about and feel included and not different to anyone and then be able to be like well I've got my add-ons and they might come in loads of really cool colours and relevant to the brand and then just be like everyone else. Mm. That's amazing do you know what other industries have managed to do that so I was for the first time (laughs) at my brother's 21st birthday on Saturday and spent half an hour watching them compare a Guinness pourer that you put on a can of Guinness oh, to my, make my it smoother about that all the time. and it recreate off with the toothbrush. Yeah, uh, cleaner. Well, uh, yeah. Well, but then, of course, I've got five men going. There's three different ways to do this, <laughs> and we're going to pour them all out, and then we're going to test taste them. And I'm like, this is a 21st birthday, guys. <laughs> what is going on? Other categories have already started doing the add-ons, so Absolutely. why aren't we? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. So I'm going to jump into the next round of questions. First question, how do you decide which products in your portfolio become accessible? It's a loaded question before you tell me, Trish. I know you like doing that. Um, (laughs) Or some, none. Uh, Why and how do you decide? I'm going to aim at brands first, but actually I think Sophie might have some views as well. Trish? All of them. All of them. All of them. Quickest answer ever. Claire? I'm not going to say as quickly as Trish, um, because I think what we haven't done, being honest, is is to have this baked into to what we've put out in the market from day one. Mm. So we're in a period of learning and transition. So we are going to have to take more of a phased approach. Um, and I do just want to touch on costs, I think, which Trish absolutely rightly said earlier on is for us to make all of these changes and, and changes that I desperately want to make 
it does come at a cost. Mm. So we also have to plan for that. And I think the sustainability angle does come into this because what we don't want to do, and as, as part of our business, and certainly as a B Corp, we would not want to, to discard packaging or waste product in any way. So we have to consider that kind of end-to-end. Mm, it's a juggling act, it isn't is, it? It is, it is, because you want to do it as fast as possible, but you also want to do it in the most sustainable way as possible so that you manage your costs, you manage your inventory, um, but also I have to say the the retailer word again, you've got to manage the retailer as well because mm. there are so many intricacies in, in changing skews in in bricks and mortar especially as well so for us it's it's going to be a phased approach but i would love for it to be everything for sure sophie obviously you work with outside contractors but you also manage your own brands what about what about you what do you think i think it's really important to know like our audience and who we're talking to and what their issues might be because there's so many different types and you can say yes I have braille or I have a QR code for visually impaired and I might be good uh, for people with arthritis but I think understanding like who your customer is and what their needs are because I'm just presuming that that's what their needs are but there's so many different types of people in different types of needs so I think talking to your audience and we're so lucky that we have social media now to be able to speak to our audience where Mm. before I mean people didn't really know it was quite old-fashioned and so you know people have huge email lists asking people what what do you need what missing what is important from the brand and evolving to be relevant to that one of our brands uh, we are concentrate their hair care brand actually it wasn't developed for um people that might struggle to to squeeze things out the tube like you mentioned but we actually have a tube key um so you can get everything out so it's not wasteful it is sustainable and i hope that it does help people that have issues gripping so you just put it on the top of the tube and then you twist it down and it's so much easier and also being in the shower sometimes things can get slippery with tubes as an ex-hairdresser I was obsessed with the tube keys. So the the colour tubes, they always have it to get the most out. Mm. And I used to always be like, I really want to take one of these home because (laughs) the amount of makeup products that I felt I was just throwing away and Mm. wasting. And I actually, Tropic Skincare have made them. They moved all of their um, masks into um, a iron... Iron tin, aluminium. Mm. Thank you. Iron would not be very rollable. (laughs) Um, Aluminium tube goes back to me not being able to talk today. Um, And you can purchase the tube key, and I'm obsessed. It Mm. gets used everywhere. Toothpaste, you name it. Oh, toothpaste grinds me right up. We moulded ours, and we put a chain on it, so you can also hang it on the shower. Mm. Wow. Uh, Because you know it is annoying. Not we want to get away from pumps, which are hard to use Mm. and not sustainable. And we want to be aluminium tubes, which hopefully are easier to use, but they're a bit awkward in the shower so you can just hang them anywhere so hopefully it helps people as well amazing um is inclusivity i think we've touched on this a lot but is it a live internal debate that's going on when you're actually developing or restaging products and packaging within the businesses you're in do you think it's broader or do you think it's typically forgotten i know we've we've touched on it but i think from your point of view especially sophie with you know you probably speak to so many brands in this area Mm. What do you think the percentage of narrative that's going on around thinking about it? Where where is it at the moment? Uh, I don't think it's spoken about very much at all. And from lots of um, briefs that I've got, it's never spoken about. It might be something 
that Braille might be put on design, but it's more, again, it's more of a marketing thing. They might just put it on um, the title just so they look inclusive, but it's not on the rest of the product. Um, <clears throat> I know some brands, like activist brands, like The Body Shop, they have actual departments like that specialise in inclusive packaging. So I think the bigger brands that really care are doing it, but it's certainly not something that I, I come across very often, which is a real shame. Guys? Wow. I mean, of course. Are you surprised? I, I, I am surprised, but I'm not surprised because I can't imagine not having that conversation all the time. Right. Um, but that's also because of the way that our brand is. It is built for that purpose. It's built for making what what we have more inclusive. Um, so, of course, it's a conversation. You think of a product and immediately it's like, how can we make it inclusive? Mm. What are the people that we're trying to target? But I also am aware and have always um, swallowed that cost. Mm. Um, and it's, it's true. It's expensive. Um, and every area that you look into is different and every individual has different needs and you really have to understand you know where your investment is and who your consumer is in order to be able to cater to them the best mm -hmm. um first and foremost so yeah i am surprised i think but brands I'm not surprised. do care though but i just don't think it's at the top of their mm. their list i think if people start talking about it more um like Fliss said with the retailers wanting things to be more sustainable i think like brands do care, but it's just not something they might have necessarily thought about. Do you so think much. it's off-putting the commercial implications of it? Like it must be quite frustrating when you're trying to bring in different elements, whether that's packaging or designs or whatever it may be, and then you kind of look at the bottom line in comparison to if you were to select an alternative that didn't include, I don't know, let's say Braille as an example for one area. It must be frustrating as that brand and kind of create a lot of resentment actually to the wider category to go why aren't we all just doing this everyone just do it and then it'll be absolutely fine i mean i i think it has to be not marketing though that's the that's the thing it's not just about adding something superficial onto packaging you have to really understand like why you're doing it and what you're doing it for and there's a lot of research that comes along with developing something so as much as I would love to say like everyone can just do it and one person bears the cost and usually that's a retailer and then everyone follows suit. With accessibility, unlike sustainability, it doesn't really work that way. So um, it's kind of like if they were to put a stipulation down, sure, but what, you know, like what would that be and how would that benefit everybody? That's the struggle. That's the challenge. Hmm. Um, so y yes and no. Um, it's a it's a tricky one. I think just to add to that, as a it, it's building the value piece into the business and the brand. And as a as a business, as I say again, I'll keep keep plugging it. B Corp certified. That also changes and really reinforces why we are doing what we're doing at a corporate level and at mm -hmm. a brand level. And I think building that into your culture and having these conversations which form naturally that it's not a forced part and as I say I don't want it ever to be a, a marketing checkbox exercise it's part of who we are we are really leading in sustainability um, in terms of how we have built our brands from day one from a sustainability angle 
but I just think even as a DEI committee from a British Beauty Council, um, Hannah, even for us to kind of mm. be leading some of these conversations where there's amazing reports and impact reports around sustainability, we're not necessarily doing that on this subject. Mm. It just feels like we're a, a few years behind where maybe sustainability has got to where it's so naturally part of what we all talk about this isn't yet i mean Definitely. i haven't really shared my personal views on this one today but obviously i'm still part of the committee as well and and uh, i think as a country we're really far behind mm. in a lot of different ways i mean my sister recently went to holland if you want to see a country leading by example holland is mm. where you want to be looking like when it comes to everything within their products their formulations you know even things like pollution and production is completely different. You, every house has solar panels on the top. It's just a hygiene factor. The way of life is completely different. They look at wastage in a different way. Obviously, there are bigger companies and exceptions, but as a culture, one of the cleanest places, I mean, my sister's literally like, I was in OCD heaven, even that no weeds, no nothing. It's all perfect. And I think as a, as a culture in the UK, I mean, we've spoke about this a lot, Trish, the UK market's not actually a nice place to be mm. at times, especially at the moment, because I don't want to go too into the economy, but it's challenging. You're kind of trying to just get by, but actually you also need to be as open-minded and inclusive as possible. And there are some things about the UK which are amazing. And we're actually, we're, you know, in comparison to a lot of other countries in the world when it comes to the menopause discussion, we're further ahead. Not by much, but we are further ahead. But when it comes to inclusion, particularly for walking the walk, not talking the talk, like we said, you know, Gen Z typically, they say they care about these things, but they're not always in the position to put their money where their mouth is. We've got a Gen Z in the room shaking his head saying it's not his thing. We were like, what? Get the podcast back on. Um, sorry, I've got a funny little thing here that I'm enjoying pressing the buttons on today. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's so many things that we need to be changing. One of the things I think that brands should have help with is a list of prioritization. You know, <laughs> it's prioritizing. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> That's a gulp sound effect as well. We're all enjoying our drinks. And Trish is just looking going, oh my goodness, that was hard. Don't you worry. That was a healthy gulp. Um, I, think, I think actually the way in which we can help brands and manufacturers is by prioritising. You know, like you say, if retailers are going to put rules in place, what are those rules? Because everything for everyone, being a jack of all trades and a master mm. of none, is actually going to help no one. Nothing's going to move further. So like with you said, Claire, it's a timeline it's slowly bringing it all into the fold. And actually, as you've said, Sophie, understanding your customers, taking the time to find out what their challenges are, brand dependent, start there. Mm. Start with the loudest voices and work your way through and always innovate. So I'm going to ask a question now. Fist up, girls. We've got manufacturers and we've got brands on the call. <laughs> this is a loaded question. Whose responsibility is it to drive the change? The increased availability of inclusive packaging everyone mm, yeah chicken and egg who goes first how can we what what needs to change i think the brands are the voices and the ones that can get it out there but the manufacturers need to be flexible and be opening new molds that are innovative and on the market and don't cost brands thousands of thousands of pounds and aren't patented so the brands have the tools to go out there and spread the message and make it make them inclusive yeah i think i really value when a supplier 
challenges in in a in a an appropriate manner, but challenges back on a brief to actually say we could make this better. And I think maybe some manufacturers or suppliers don't always do that and the brand doesn't always know best let's be honest we don't always have the answers and the fact that in asking some of my manufacturers do you from other brands receive this as part of your briefing process and everyone's saying no and you've said it yourself Sophie is even I think it has to be a collaboration Mm. and again I use sustainability we wouldn't be moving in the direction we're moving if we weren't collaborating it's critical what about you sophie do you challenge yeah i mean pelham as a whole so i you know years ago especially uk manufacturers no offense to anyone but you imagine older men in suits saying computer says no this is what we've got we've got really long lead times they're really high moqs and pelham tries to challenge that and be flexible and be a partner so listening to what the brands want and the brands need and working with them and advising them and having the tools in place to be able to like help you and be a partner so I think I mean a lot of the packaging resource comes from different countries and we rely on that packaging supplier but they also listen to us so I think yeah having having that conversation saying actually have you thought about this being a partner looking at different packaging what molds are available what can we make what different materials are going to make it easier do you think brands are open to having pushback when it comes to the physical because I I know some creatives where they're like it looks this way, this is my vision, my design. And, you know, we have a bit of an inside joke at Pool where it's easier sometimes to tell someone they have an ugly baby than it is <laughs> to insult their brand mm. because it's such a personal thing. It's come from such an internal place that everyone's very protective of that. And so you're treading fine water a lot of the time. You know, how do you find people receive that pushback, particularly you, Sophie? I'd say bigger brands are slightly more commercial. So they are more aware of their consumers and cost again um, and aren't necessarily so in the detail. Um, so if it was available and it wasn't a huge cost and it worked for them, they'd be open to it. I'd say more startup brands um, are exactly what you said. They're, it's so precious to them. So anything tiny, they might not be able to make that change, but it really depends on what their stance is and how open they are to being inclusive. I'm so controlling about aesthetic. <laughs> like we're currently... I love when Trish is on my podcast. She says nothing and then just boom. <laughs> I mean, we we are in the process of rebranding right now, and I just feel so stressed because I'm questioning everything. Everything. Why? Because I feel like yeah, it is it is my baby, but also equally at the same time, I feel like I doubt my choices Mm. a lot and the more I look at it the more I'm like oh my gosh like are people gonna hate it is it gonna be completely irrecognizable um is it gonna be really chaotic is it too busy is it not simple enough and it's the first time we've made that change since launching and of course like consumers get bored super quickly now right like we've got TikTok and you've got a new video every 15 seconds and sometimes I skip the video that's 15 seconds long and I'm like wow Like my ADHD is on fire. Mm. So, you know, even if you look at the big luxury brands, Burberry's rebranded again after five years. Like, is that too short of a time? You know, there are a lot of questions. So the accessible perspective and the creative perspective coming together in a completely new format is very stressful. Question to that. The decisions you're making, are they personal or informed ones from data? Both. Okay. Yeah, got to be both. But of course, 
I am my tone of voice. So if someone comes at me and says, you know, you might have to change your tone of voice. I'm like, absolutely not. Because if I'm the one writing the copy and I'm the one communicating, it has to still be authentic. Otherwise we'll lose that. Mm -hmm. So there are some challenging decisions to be made when it comes to shaking things up. Um, because you want to remain consistent to some degree. What about you, Claire? You're really passionate about insights you're, you're from a consumer point of view. Yeah, I personally, I'm not as precious. And I think I, I try and instill that in my team because I think we're in a different place to you, Trish, in terms of um, our brand. If I say naughty for a start, launched in 2016, we do actually still have the same kind of design and look and feel since that point. And actually, we do ask our customers quite frequently they seem to love it and that's great retailers love it but actually in asking sometimes I think that's how we've asked that question so now I have this lens on it I'm asking the question in a slightly different way and I'm getting a slightly different response back from our customers Mm -hmm. which is making me change my viewpoint on what we need to do to improve what we have Mm. so I think there's actually quite a skill in asking the right question to a customer otherwise you can ask question and get the answer you want absolutely I mean we do a lot of attitudinal research at pull and it's really hard because sometimes we've had to ask questions that have made us really uncomfortable Mm. um, because we've had to put answers in there that we don't like but they have to be in there to give you a true reflection of the range of views and intensity Definitely. of those views. And challenge you. I think it's, it's I, I, I know I did raise that and I think there's absolutely being true to yourself and to your brand, but I also think positive change can come from being mm. challenged as well and, and having a different viewpoint. One of our values is being creatively curious. Mm. So curiosity can come in that form of asking all of these different questions, really... Um, being uh kind in the way we challenge internally but it's okay to to say actually i don't agree with this i'd like to approach it in a different way and actually that can give you a different and sometimes better result it might not but actually if you don't ask and you you don't kind of push yourself i think you can get too comfortable Mm. i think it's really interesting because obviously b corp a lot of the time people that are less educated in b corp is they assume it's for the good of the planet mm. but it's actually people absolutely it's, it's, triple it's, bottom it's, line yeah yes. it's not just yeah. about planet is is one of the members for mm. sure guys we love we love the mother nature but yeah. people is a big part Definitely. and i think actually when people are so excited about talking about that b corp status, you've got to work really blooming hard mm. to get it in the first place but also sometimes that packaging element does slip through mm. the net because we aren't all there yet and it's there isn't i'd say like a set standard of expectation even mm. when it comes to the definition of of disability or inclusive it it's kind of bilingual but it means so many different things to different people so it's down to personal interpretation and the way that you feel you can support it um should you leverage accessible features to drive your brand or make your innovation available to all for the benefit of consumers thoughts why not yeah why not i mean i think about it from the perspective of being able to benefit everybody but again, that's a challenge. So even if you have one feature that you want to share with everybody, it's available and it's there. Um, I also hope people would use it, but I doubt they will. And I think that's something that, you know, 
is the, the main challenge that we are facing right now. Um, it's those little changes that you can make and make available to everyone like Olay did, but the likelihood of people even attempting to use that might not necessarily benefit their consumer. One of the things I think that people don't think about enough is the dialogue it creates just having it. So actually, let's take your stickies for an example. That was what opened up the dialogue about how many people don't know Braille. Mm -hmm. And when we finished that, I walked out to my mum and went, did you know? And she was like, what? And at this point, it's opened up a dialogue within our family to actually start looking into understanding, well, if you can't, how do you do it? What are the things available? Because things happen in life where you can go from a completely able-bodied person to something happening. You know, it's not always that you're born that way. And so actually, by educating yourselves more as a consumer or a member of society, yes, you might not be using that support now but you might come across someone that Mm. needs it you might come across somebody within life and actually by changing just that consumer narrative and awareness by having it on your packaging in the first place and also openly saying this was a choice this this isn't a marketing tactic but this was a choice because of xyz I think that's where brands have a real opportunity and a duty of care, actually, Mm. to the consumers. You know, we spoke recently on a podcast about, particularly within journalism, there's this oath, this duty of care to tell the truth. And I definitely think in the UK market at times we fall foul of that and we forget that duty of care to educate consumers, whether that's with the chemicals that we use, the promises we make, or the claims of how effective it is or is not. Um, And so the narrative, whether it's coming from manufacturers or brands alike, we should all be singing off the same hymn sheet. And at the moment, we don't have that hymn sheet. So can accessible packaging be delivered, do we think, without an impact on cost and appearance as it is today? Based on this conversation, I think I know the answer, and it's probably a quick one. Trish is going to come back with a firm, thunderbolt <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I mean, of course not. But I, I hope that that's not a deterrent. I think that's, you know, I always say no is the opportunity for a conversation. No is why not? No is the opportunity to develop something so that, you know, someone listening to this might consider changing that. Mm. Um, but the way that it stands, I think people need to see it as two things not marketing, not just marketing. Um, And the other is not something that's going to drive your sales million pounds, billion pounds overnight because it's not about that and it shouldn't be about that. But of course, with big companies, I can completely understand. You've got loads of staff, loads of overheads, um, and sometimes packaging is your opportunity to cut your costs because you've invested so much in formula, you've invested so much in, you know, uh, ambassadorship and influencer marketing. And so your packaging is the part that people see that you would throw away. And so that's not necessarily a priority for someone to invest in, but it's an interesting conversation. I think, you know, even though it's a no, maybe it's, it's just a temporary no. Yeah. Interesting you say that because there's so many reusable types of packaging now and that's what brands want with sustainability so surely it should be easy because I mean obviously it's not there at the moment but eventually um because people are more and more and more often keeping their packaging and replacing it with refillable things Mm -hmm. um and I'd also say there probably are some quick wins that don't necessarily cost brands a lot so I think you might have mentioned it earlier I think you'd do it but I thought about it before 
having like a QR code for visually impaired people, that that's not going to cost the brand much. It, it's not going to um, impact the cost of the packaging. It's just taking the time to do it and having the um, resources to be able to do it. Mm. Any thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with everything that Trish and Sophie have said. I think it, it's just actioning some of this rather than, you know, mm. today is, is great to have this conversation. And yes, we're all having it within our businesses, but it's taking those actions and, and being bold. Do you think there's an opportunity to put a bit more pressure back on the retailers? How do you think that would go? I don't think it would go very far right now, to be truthful. I think, you know, that isn't their priority. What benefit to them is there of us doing this? Agreed. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, but I think it should eventually be yeah. the same conversation we have about sustainability. We will eventually have it about accessibility. And it's only a matter of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, it's still emerging. Mm. Yeah. It should be them, though, because they're the ones seeing the consumers come in store and probably ask for help like i thought earlier boots has a pharmacy and they know that a lot of their products have braille on them and a lot of i know that volterol has an easy um flip lid for arthritis so surely they should be seeing that collecting that data and then going back to brands and saying this is what our consumers want I think they probably do have that data, but whether they share it mm. or not is another matter. But that's a, that's a separate podcast I'll do one day. Um, it's prioritising, though. I, yeah. think, I think that's the thing. It's They also have a, a whole list of what they have to deliver as a retailer. And unfortunately, as we've touched on earlier, I don't think that's at the top of their agenda. Yeah. Yet. Again, I think at a social level as well, though, if we just look at the dialogue that's going on within the country... This is a very small part of a dialogue that's happening. Mm. So actually, it's a, it's brands' responsibilities. It's everyone's responsibility to really start elevating that discussion. And I think it will open a lot of people's eyes. And I think people actually are more open to it than we realise. It's just like you've said earlier, Claire. You don't know what you don't know. Mm. And you know, if you're not having the dialogue, you aren't going to realise how uneducated or educated you are in these areas until that discussion is there. I have loved talking to you all. I could chat so much longer, but I have one final question for you all. And Felicity, feel free to shout your answer over at us as well. Um, We spoke about a lot today, and I think you guys have been amazing. So thank you so much. If you could give one piece of advice based on what we've spoken about today to brands and manufacturers and retailers, we're talking to you listening, what would it be? I'll start with you, Claire. Be curious. I think that's my my mantra probably because again, if you're not curious, you're not asking questions, you're not learning and then understanding to be able to make change, positive change for I shall refer to B Corp again for people and planet. Mm, thank you. Sophie. Very similar. I'd say like speak to people about it, ask questions, um, partner up with the different brands that I um work with. And if we get a brief in Maybe it could be a tick box. We have tick box for, do you want sustainable packaging? Um, Do you want inclusive packaging? We can suggest it to them. And another point would be, which we haven't necessarily touched, like think of it from the very first design. We work with designers at the beginning who probably have amazing ideas. Just like be aware of it through the whole process from like beginning to end. Mm. Trish? Try. Try. Just try. Love that. I think at the end of the day, like that's what we all do. And I think that's what everyone should do. And there is no right and wrong answer here. We just got to try. Felicity? I would say collaboration. 
collaboration. Collaboration. Yeah, bringing everyone together to have to build that awareness to, um, you know, make everyone accountable. Amazing. Great. From my point of view, it would actually be do your research, ask those questions, and actually give people an opportunity in the space for honest unfiltered answers you're not always going to like what you hear but that's the stuff where real change happens because you can't read the ingredients from inside the jar gang so take the time to ask people that don't live in the jam jar thank you so much everybody today i've really really enjoyed this conversation um as i mentioned this is absolutely something that the british beauty council and the dei committee are really passionate about so if you have any questions about what we're trying to achieve please get in touch with myself claire or anybody else that's part of it um we hope you've enjoyed today any questions please ping them over to podcast at the I have been Hannah Cook, Head of Growth and Innovation, your host. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Take care.